One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI powered all star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at Shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to Shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. Hope you're well after what has been, uh, well, an interesting week, shall we say. First Premier League game of the season, three points, a difficult away trip to Turkey, clean sheet and a draw. So, you know, it went well from a league point of view, could have been a bit better and Europe and of course we got a couple of injuries along the way but that's that's par for the course I guess but it is interesting how the mood has changed a little bit from this time last week compared to right now now I know you can't necessarily judge everything on the online discourse shall we say people are a bit more inclined online with the veil of anonymity or even not anonymity but just being online of of uh, letting loose, having a good old moan, which is fine. I don't have any problem with having a good old moan. We all do it from time to time. We all need to do it from time to time, get things off our chests. But when you think about the last three games we've played, we won the Community Shield 3-0 against Man City. We won against Crystal Palace. Okay, we could have played better. But there are reasons and I think uh, circumstances that are having an effect on our performances. And then the game in midweek against uh, Besiktas, nil-nil. Maybe there was more expectation going into that, but it looked difficult from what I could see, even though I didn't see the, the game itself. The bits of highlights and the pitch didn't look great. And look, there are those issues that we have with fitness and readiness this season. Whether people like it or not, we do have those issues. So, you know, overall... It's a week that went pretty all right. It does make me a little bit nervous as to what the reaction might be if things don't go uh, according to plan or a result doesn't go our way. There's a, a tetchiness, I guess. People looking for more transfers. I think we are going to do more transfers. Arsene Wenger talking about how he's open to strengthening things. And somebody asked him in his press conference yesterday, he said, uh, you know, people are saying... 
you uh, you fancy a defensive midfielder? And he went, yeah, we're open to that, which is as close to an admission as you get from, from Arsene Wenger when it comes to transfers and those kind of things. I still think there's more business to do, and I do think at this point it's a bit dependent on what happens in uh, in the Champions League game against Besiktas next week because we obviously need to qualify, and maybe um, I don't think it's a financial thing. I think it might be to do with the players that we're looking at uh, ensuring that they've got Champions League football. So I don't think we're done and dusted. I think the second half of this uh, transfer window, as, as Arsene Wenger said, the second half of August is, is likely to be busy. And I think it probably will be because there are some issues in the squad that we know about and we've spoken about. But I don't see it necessarily as us being... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? As intransigent in the market as we were in previous seasons where we just kind of didn't bother our arses. Um, I think there's more to it than that. So, um, yeah. So it's been a bit, it's a bit strange the way the mood can shift when we haven't even lost a game. But there you go. That is the modern football supporting experience, I guess. Well, what can you do but uh, just get on with it and hope that the uh, results go our way? Or perhaps if you're really smart, you could invest in a uh, pitchfork factory. Because the moment that we lose a game, the pitchforks, the demand would just be through the roof. Through the roof. And your local hardware store has only got a certain amount of pitchforks, if it's got that many at all. So if you could do a a dial-a-pitchfork website or just order online, same-day delivery pitchforks, man, you'd be making a fortune. Why am I even telling you this? I should, should just do it. So look, uh, the Premier League campaign kicked off. We dominated Crystal Palace for about half an hour, then they scored, which is um, quite arsenally, is it not? We've been there before, I think, from time to time. And uh, although we had some nice moments, thought uh, Alexis and Debussy combined quite well in the opening half. It was really obvious that this is a team that's a long way from its uh, sharpest. And I think... Uh, We're one of those teams that when we're a long way from our sharpest, we look a lot worse than we are, if that makes sense. And we need to be um, really fluid to look good. Otherwise, we we do have a tendency to look a bit flat. Lauren Koscielny equalized with a really quite excellent header. I was watching it again on Match of the Day last night um, because I hadn't sat down and watched Manchester United lose their first league game of the season. I didn't get a chance to to watch that yet. So I sat down and enjoyed that. Had a good old laugh. Uh, I loved that, really. Uh, But then uh, Arsenal were on next. So uh, I watched that. And the Koscielny goal, when you look at it, he, he jumps, ducks, tucks his head into his neck like, I don't know, some kind of guy doing a weird... Like, if he was coming up the street in the dark to you and he put his head like that and came walking up the street really weirdly. It was a weird position. So he did the jump, uh, the head tuck, and kind of flicked it backwards at the same time. Unorthodox, you might say, but really very, very good in terms of a finish. And that got us level just before halftime. Second half, 
didn't really do an awful lot in terms of threatening uh, on goal. We spoke about it on the Arscast Extra on Monday that our striking options were perhaps a bit limited. I think we were robbed of a robbed of a substitution, weren't we, when Kieran Gibbs went off on Montreal. Uh, had to come on, so maybe we would have seen Joel Campbell if we'd had everybody fit. But uh, in the end, Aaron Ramsey got the goal. Um, great work from Koscielny and Giroud to keep it alive, and uh, Debussy's shot was blocked, and Ramsey was there to put it away. And look, he's the guy who looks like he's going to score the goals for us. So then, uh, midweek, you've got the Champions League game against Besiktas. Ramsey then sent off. I thought the the first yellow was a little bit harsh. But he could have been a bit more clever there, I think. The guy was uh, tugging him, and he just, yeah, reacted and tugged back. And then the guy fell over, and he got a, a yellow card. The second one was ridiculous. And I'm sorry, people might say he should have been smart, or he shouldn't have got involved, or maybe he could have defended it better, for sure. But there was nothing in it. The guy just threw himself to the ground. The referee bought it, and it's a a red card, and that's a blow for us because he's not going to be around for the return leg next Wednesday. And the return leg is um, a little bit precarious as well, you have to say, because they have the advantage of uh, the away goals rule. So if they score one, we got to score two. They score two, we got to score three, and so on. So that does make it a bit bit dangerous. Um, Hopefully, if we can play as well as we know we can on a pitch that doesn't look like no man's land in World War One, then you'd have to think we, we probably got a bit too much for them. But, of course, we're not playing uh, to that level yet. Uh, maybe the return of the Germans this weekend against uh, Everton, that might make a big difference. Might make some difference, a small difference. But, uh, you know, it's uh, it makes a game against Everton, of course, important also because you don't want to be going into the, the Champions League game firefighting and doubting yourself. And the other thing as well is that we've got um, uh, injury to Mikel Arteta picked up during midweek. Uh, and I think that's a bit of a blow. I think it's quite a lot of a blow, actually, because he's a very good player. I'm not quite sure where all the... The hate for him has come from over the last few months that this all of a sudden he's gone from a guy who led the team to win the FA Cup, really. He was the captain throughout, and now he's a guy who suddenly can't play football. I get the idea that people might want an upgrade on Arteta. I totally understand that, but the way some people reacted to um, the fact that his injury might be long-term as yet. We don't know when I'm recording this. We don't know exactly when. But the reaction has been pathetic from some people, I think. Uh, On the one hand, people go, oh, it's fucking Arsenal. We've always got our players out injured. Why are our players always injured? This is not good enough. What a load of old bullshit. And then Arteta gets injured and they're like, hooray, this is great. Arteta's injured because that will make the manager go into the transfer market. It might or it might not. But regardless of that, the fact that you're celebrating an injury to an Arsenal player, and whether you like it or not, an important Arsenal player, a player that the manager trusts, a player that the team, uh, his teammates really trust, uh, who does have a big influence um, on and off the pitch, that that player being injured and you're celebrating that, get to fuck. Seriously. Like I said, if you, if you turn around tomorrow and say, we've got a player, we can buy this player who is going to improve... Uh, this team, because he plays in the position where Mikel Arteta plays and he's 50% a better player than Mikel Arteta. Who wouldn't want that player? 
I certainly wouldn't have any problem with him coming in. I think any position in the team is open to replacement if you can find a better alternative. But the idea that just because a player is injured, it means the manager will make a signing is fanciful, I think. We might well be after a a midfielder, who knows? But proclamations of joy and happiness that our captain is going to be out. Uh, Also for a game that we don't have Aaron Ramsey for. uh, And justifying that proclamation by saying, oh, you really want what's best for the team. uh, Because that will make the manager make a transfer. If you really want what's best for the team, you'd want Arteta to stay fit and the manager to make a transfer, right? Not one or the other. So it's a lot of old bollocks, in my opinion. But there you go. There's modern football and modern football support for you. Anyway, right. A little bit later on, we will have the uh, the answer to the competition from last week, um, in which you could win yourself a copy of Together, the story of Arsenal's unbeaten season, rather beautiful hardback book. Um, We'll give you the answer to that a little bit later on. But now, time to talk to our guest this week. Uh, This interview took place a little bit earlier in the week. It is with the co-author of Arsenal, The Making of a Modern Super Club. Alex Finn wrote that along with Kevin Witcher, and Alex is my guest. Uh, They've just written a new book together called Arsene and Arsenal, The Quest to Rediscover Past Glories. And this was the conversation with Alex Finn from earlier this week. I want to start with Arsene Wenger because obviously he is the figurehead of Arsenal Football Club and has been for a long time. Some people thought that time might have been coming to an end, but after winning the FA Cup in May, he appears to be a man reinvigorated, would you say, perhaps with a new lease of life. Obviously, there are many aspects to that, and we can touch on those in the next few minutes, but the simple fact of winning a trophy has has helped him enormously. I would agree with you. I think it mattered so much to him that at last he realised that fourth place was not um, the equal of actually winning a trophy. And you could see the way that he enjoyed himself skipping around like a teenager around Wembley, uh, that if it had gone badly, then I think that he might actually have called it quits. Mm. It went so well, it did reinvigorate him, and he settled down for another three years. Those These coming three years are going to be really interesting, not least because the club is in a different place than it was um, we all know about the commercial deals that were in place to help build a stadium, which were uh, hamstringing the finances in a certain way. And um, I think you can certainly make a, a point or a case for the money that Arsenal spent during that period perhaps wasn't spent as well as it could have been. But we're seeing now... Um, a change in the way that they do business, particularly in the transfer market and the calibre of the players that are being targeted. Uh, last summer, Mesut Ozil arrived for £42.5 million, pounds, which blew Arsenal's transfer record out of the water. We've spent £30-something million pounds on Alexis from Barcelona. Do you think there was a... It was a situation that the manager was always aware that 2014 was going to be a financial release and was uh, holding fire perhaps until then. No, I don't think so. I think that he'd always had money to spend um, if we go back three or four years, but chose not to use it. Mm. 
And the commercial department uh, finally came round to the conclusion that to have a successful business, you first of all got to have a successful team. And a successful team is defined by one that does give you Champions League qualification, but also challenges for a title. So I think that belatedly they did good commercial deals. Arguably they could have done them sooner. Uh, the, the deal for the stadium was right in principle, but I don't think that uh, they needed to hamstring themselves so much or that they could have got a better price for it. But that was the past. They then trod water for a number of years. They were ambivalent about re-signing with Emirates. They eventually did at a very good price, but people forget that Emirates have now put their name to the stadium for a long time, and that in itself undermines the Arsenal brand. I know fans don't like uh, people like me talking about a brand, but you've got to realize that uh, a brand is something that is created in the mind with rational and emotional values. And Arsenal is a very strong brand, not just a national brand, but an international brand, and as such had not been pulling its weight. Belatedly, they've done that. As a result of that, I think the commercial department put more pressure on uh, Arsene Wenger. The foreign tours was step one. The second bit was, uh, we've got to have a successful team. We need to spend money to match other people. I think that Gazidis came out and made a plea that he was going to spend money. And therefore, when the transfer window was slipping by without this happening, I think he forced Arsene Wenger's hand. And that's why Mesut Ozil was bought, not because Arsene didn't want him, but he didn't want necessarily to pay that price. But I think, as David Dean might have said in years gone by, Arsene, let me worry about the money. And mm. I suspect that's what Gazidis did at this 11th hour purchase. So, I mean, you, when you talk about the commercial department, you're talking about Ivan Gazidis rather than faceless executives who are doing, you know, de uh, deals with, with brands. Um, I mean, the relationship between Gazidis and Wenger is, has been one that's been interesting, shall we say, down uh, down the years. And obviously, Arsene Wenger and David Dean, as we know, were, were uh, still very good friends, but obviously they worked very well together. Um, do you think there was a reluctance on Arsene Wenger's part to work in the same way with, with Ivan Gazidis? Has it been a case that over the past few years, Gazidis has earn the trust of Arsene Wenger to an extent? Yes, I think so. Also, I, I think that Gazidis and Dean are very different personalities. Above all, Wenger and Dean were friends. Mm. And Dean would never challenge him on key issues. He would never tell him who to buy, or certainly never who to pick. And you may say that that was Dean's place. But occasionally, Wenger needed to be prodded into action. For example, and, and this is hindsight, and this is the result of a conversation with Dean. When there was a reluctance a couple of years ago to reinforce the goalkeeping situation with perhaps Mark Schwarzer, or to buy Xavi Alonso in the midfield, um, Dean, after the event, I asked him, I said, well, if you'd have been around, you'd have said to Arsene, come on, Arsene, we need to do this. And Dean said, well, yes, I think I would have said that. Now, he didn't do it in the previous years because it wasn't necessary. So times change, and I think that, again, I've asked Ivan Gazidis, have you ever challenged Wenger? 
And he said yes. So I think that uh, maybe there was a, a reluctance on Wenger's part to accept the challenge from Gazidis. And Gazidis was more concerned about getting the finances of the club together. And when he's got them together with the commercial deals, he now feels he's negotiating with a position of strength mm. and can force Arsene into doing certain things that he may not have come to of his own volition. For example, the change in the uh, personnel of the youth setup, set up, and also the, uh, the training and conditioning element with the arrival of Shad Forsyth. I think both the changes with the youth setup and the changes in the training setup have been down to Gazidis' initiative rather than Wenger saying, well, I'm going to do something. The most that Arsene accepted was that we have a problem which gave Gazidis an open door, which he then pushed even wider open. Mm. I mean, it's interesting to talk about Chad Forsyth. I mean, the, the information uh, that I have is that there was certainly entreaties made to Arsene Wenger by... Uh, people within the club, not necessarily Ivan Gazidis, but those more uh, in the trenches, if you like, about the situation and about the injury situation. And um, while accepting that, obviously, Gazidis had a part to play in the recruitment of that, I do think that Arsene Wenger himself, um, based on on, um, those meetings, uh, decided he had to do something. And is there not also the, the possibility that after so many years without a trophy and with these issues that are underlying, as people know, with the fitness and and also with the the youth setup and and the fact that the players being produced aren't really coming uh, through to the first team or of first team quality, that that there must come a time for somebody as intelligent as Arsene Wenger is, and we know he's a a very clever man, to step back and go, okay, things aren't necessarily working uh, the way I would expect. Uh, We've got to do something about it. Exactly. But he didn't know what to do about it. For example, um, with regard to the conditioning element, he brought up this wacky solution that uh, people may be using a hair restoring treatment and who knows what effect it has. <laughs> so, you know, he knew there was a problem, but he didn't know how to handle it and he needed to be pushed. And it's always difficult when a man has absolute power and when the team is the, the be-all and end-all to take some of that power away. So it's been a gradual process. And that's what's been happening, that the power has been delegated by Wenger himself with regard to the youth policy and with regard to the training and and, uh, conditioning procedures, because he knows there's a problem and other people have come to him. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive & June. Olive & June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. It dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those, I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. With positive suggestions, which he's taken on board. So, I mean, we're bearing all that in mind... Um, do, do you feel like the club is in a, a, a much healthier position than it has been for the last number of years? I do. Uh, and um, forgive me for quoting one thing from the book. I, I never like people who say, well, it's in the book. <laughs> but the last line of the book is um, when you sum everything up, and I think we write, remember, you've got to spend, 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 but not like Tottenham. So I think, I think that is the key to it. And that is the key that they've had the opportunity to spend in the past. Danny Fisman once famously asked Arsene Wenger, only about five years ago, Arsene, if I gave you £100 million, what would you do with it? And Arsene replied, I'd give it straight back to you. Mm. Well, he's not doing that now, but there's still a reluctance to to spend in the way that they can spend. Arsenal cannot be outspent by any club in the world for a particular player. They can't buy wholesale like Chelsea or the Spanish giants, but they can go head-to-head with them for any single player that they want. And there's been a reluctance to do that until recently. Mm, And do do you think that reluctance is something that's within the fabric of of Arsenal, the way it's run? Arsene Wenger, we know he he likes value, certainly, when it comes to buying players. Um, But there, there has to come a time when you look at the market and look at what people are spending on footballers and what your value of a player might be and what the market value of a player might be are, are two very different things. So we look at Arsenal spending £42.5 million on Mesut Ozil, £30 million on Sanchez, £16 million on Callum Chambers, a, a 19-year-old who's barely played. It does seem as as if that's changing. And when you look at players like Shane Long, for example, going for £12 million, you've got, was it Derby or Nottingham Forest spending £11 million in the championship on a striker? The market has changed. You can't find these six to eight to ten million pound players who can really come in and and do the job. Well, I, w- I would disagree to some extent. Um, 
the reluctance to buy a striking backup last season, <coughs> excuse me, um, was palpable. And there were options available. Um, there's, there's a guy who went that Arsenal must have no, known about had fallen out uh, with PSV in Holland, uh, Toivonen, a Swedish international. And he went during the January transfer window last year to Rons, uh, uh, sorry, Rennes, a club that Arsenal would know well in the, the French league. And they were having a bad season. Uh, this guy went for only uh, 2 million euros. And in the first nine appearances, he got six goals and a couple of assists. And he saved, helped save them from relegation. And he started off very well again this season. You've also got the, um, the lone question with regard to Miroslav Klose. He could have gone for um, a couple of million on loan. Arsenal wasn't prepared to spend that amount. You've got to speculate to accumulate. And the worry is that it was such a desperate situation with Giroud last season, you know, that he was flogging a dead horse. And it was unnecessary. And there were alternatives. So the worry is not that Arsenal won't buy big for a particular position, but they won't buy wholesale. As we stand now, there's still the need, with Vermaelen having gone, for a defensive backup. Mm -hmm. There's still the need for a defensive midfielder, but they are still waiting to be bought. The the Champions League situation might well be a factor in that. Obviously, Arsenal have yet to qualify. There's the return leg against Besiktas next Wednesday. Um, it does seem as if that is um, informing the rest of the transfer business that that Arsenal might want to do. Um, how how would you rate what was done? during the summer in terms of replacing the players who went out and also adding to the squad in, in the first place? Good, but could do better. Uh, you mentioned the Champions League situation. It, it was a rewind of, if we rewind, it was the same situation last year. Um, Higuain saga was played out and people thought that it was waiting until the qualification for the Champions League. In the meantime, someone came and gazumped Arsenal, and they didn't have the, the striker that they needed. And they still need a lightning striker. It's all very well to, to put your faith in these two French war horses, but you know, they're not going to get you 20-plus goals a season, and that's what you need. So it's, it's not only the obvious positions, which we just alluded to, that need reinforcing, but, it, but it's also the fact that if you've bought Sanchez, is that enough? Is that what he's thinking? Well, I've bought one very quick player. Do I need two? He's got so, Walcott coming back. Of course. You're quite right. So he probably doesn't need it. And I think I'm probably wrong in that area then. Mm. Then he may feel that with Walcott and Sanchez... That, that he's got his striking equivalents. But neither of them are out-and-out -out goal scorers. So I think my point about a goal, scorer, a goal scorer still remains. Moving away slightly from the football side of things, and we've spoken about the commercial area of the club, it, it is an area that's been improved drastically over the last uh, five or six uh, years. Um, uh, three or, no, two, two or three years, not five or six. They've been doing it for five or six years, um, we'd be in a much stronger position than we are now. 
what, what I was referring to was the appointment of Tom Fox in 2009. That's um, good, but it took him a long time to get his feet under the table. Well, this is what I'm... I mean, obviously the process started back then and he came into a very underdeveloped commercial department and has had to, like you say, uh, get his feet under the table and build it up. Uh, and obviously with the, with the knowledge that not much... Uh, could really happen of of a significant basis until 2014. There are reports this week that that Tom Fox is going to take over as Aston Villa's chief executive. Is that something people should be concerned about, or is this the kind of role within a more mature organisation that Arsenal would would find relatively easy to fill? Well, they should be concerned about it because Tom Fox is a very good operator. Um, you always suspect, to some extent, um, foreign ownership and foreign control. Do they really understand the heritage and tradition of, of English football? And there has to be a question mark with the, the Arsenal board, on the one hand, being composed of septuagenarians and the Americans actually running the show, that there's a gap. But Tom Fox has done his best to fill that gap. And he is uh, avid to learn about the game. He's avid to learn about Arsenal in particular. And he's done a lot of good work in actually recovering lost ground with regard to understanding what the brand is, building the partnerships that they have, and also securing um, the commercial relationships for the future. So he's done all this hard work, and it would be a great loss for him to go now. Of course, there are many people, and I would say this, wouldn't I, coming from an advertising agency background, <laughs> but there are many good English marketeers who not only understand the business of marketing, but have a love for football and a love for Arsenal in particular. And I'm sure that you could find a replacement if you wanted to. The fact that Tom Fox came showed that in the past they hadn't really wanted to do that. Touching briefly, uh, finally, uh, on the book itself, Arsene and Arsenal, The Quest to Rediscover Past Glories, how would you describe uh, the book and, and what people can find inside uh, and what sort of insight that you've got into, into this latest, I won't say era, but this sort of changing uh, era at Arsenal? Well, the, the, the book emerged from the success of the previous book, which was um, Arsenal... Um, I've even forgotten the subtitle. The Making of a Modern Superclub. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew. <laughs> um, and it surprised me that it was so popular that it was reprinted a few times. Um, and it's still going. It's, you know, the latest reprint was only a month, a month or so ago. And I felt that um, one of the... Re well, we go back to the first book that I did about Arsenal, which was 1991 when um, I did a book which wasn't a very good one called Heroes and Villains, but people liked it because it reflected the fact that Tottenham won the cup while Arsenal won the league. And, and I felt that at the beginning of the season that something dramatic was going to happen to both clubs. And I felt that that was going to be the case this time. Um, I'm not a clairvoyant, but I thought nine years is enough and I really think that Arsenal are going to end their trophy drought this season. So what better way to celebrate it than to write a sequel, which is, you know, Arsenal, the making of a modern super club part two, or um, Arsenal and Arsenal, the quest to rediscover past glories, which actually tracks a successful season. 
it was touch and go, of course, that we <laughs> might not have had a book in the end. But we now have a book that takes the story on and actually reflects a season with its ups and downs, which does end in a climax and is a very positive one. And as such, is a tale of last season. The boring bits of the narrative thread that all, know, all fans know about, but have to be provided. But the interesting bits, I would suggest, are the, the subjects that, that emerge from that, such as a detailed examination of the youth policy, um, the injury situation, uh, the marketing side, and also an appraisal of arson, which I, I think is, from the standpoint of someone who knows him well, admires him, but is not blind to his faults. So hopefully it will be a, a good read to people who want to find out why last season was full of ups and downs, but ultimately ended successfully. Fantastic. Arsene and Arsenal, The Quest to Rediscover Past Glories by Alex Finn and Kevin Witcher is out now uh, by Vision Sports Publishing. We're going to uh, give a, people a code, a discount code that they can buy um, through, uh, through the website. We'll have a link on the blog. Uh, but Alex Finn, thank you very much indeed for your time. Andrew, thank you very much. The book is Arsene and Arsenal, The Quest to Rediscover Past Glories by Alex Finn and Kevin Witcher. It's published by Vision Sports Publishing. And the uh, retail price, the recommended price is twelve ninety nine. But you, my Arse blog, Arsecast friends, can get it for a knockdown £7.55 plus postage if you buy it directly from their website, which is visionsp.co.uk. That's visionsp.co.uk. If you search for the book on there, Add it to your uh, shopping cart and then use the code ROCKY at checkout. You get it for seven fifty five plus postage. So that's £7.55. Uh, go to visionsp.co.uk and use the code ROCKY when you're checking out. Uh, if that's all a bit too complicated, just read today's blog. Uh, go to arsblog.com, see today's post, and there will be a link directly to the book itself. So there you go. Right, we'll have the winner of last week's competition in a couple of moments' time, as well as a look ahead to this weekend's game against Everton with all the team news, etc., etc. But that's right after this. Hello, everybody. He's Arshevin, and I am back for a special episode. As you can hear, I am on holiday. Head Beach is very nice, but... Uh, I check my phone and notice on Instagram, or what is called, I have been nominated by Ebue to do Ice Bucket Challenge. Shut up, Ebue. <laughs> but if you don't know what is Ice Bucket Challenge, is when celebrity or footballer takes video to show off everybody in the world how nice house is. And look, I have many car and big TV. And look how rich I am and all nice things I have. Oh, look, and now some water on head for some reason. I don't know why. But who am I not to do this? So, huh, here we go with Ice Bucket Challenge Arshevin. Instead of ice, I have used cheeseburger. <laughs> I nominate Mick Bentner and Sylvester to do. 
So there you go. There's Andre Arshavin with the Ice Bucket Challenge. Um, have to say, it's not for me. The only ice bucket challenge I'd be eager in participating in would be one where you have to fit as many bottles of wine as possible into a bucket with ice rather than have ice water tipped over the top of you. That seems like a foolish pursuit to me. Even if it is for a good cause, you know, it's cold and it's wet. So, nah, no thanks. But look, it's good that all the famous people can show us off their swimming pools and stuff like that, isn't it? I'm enjoying that part of it. It makes me feel so in touch with the charitable world. Anyway, we will uh, do the competition winner now. Last week, I asked you to tell me how many games Martin Keown played in the unbeaten season, the invincible season 2003-2004. The correct answer was 10 matches because he just about squeezed in enough to get himself a premiership title winning medal. He had to get 10. And of course, there's that great story that's in the book where uh, one of the last games, uh, Keown is about to go on with two or three minutes to go and Ray Parler, you know, starts warming up and getting stripped off and Keown is looking at him horrified uh, because if he doesn't get 10 games, he doesn't get the medal. And of course, Parler's just taking the piss. But you can find that story and many others in the book itself, which is available uh, from the website on shop.arsblog.com and as an ebook from uh, iTunes, Kindle, Google Play, Kobo, and all the usual places. Any questions, feel free to just drop me an email. Anyway, the random number generator has done its thing. Uh, thank you for all your entries, and uh, thank you to those who send uh, nice little messages with your uh, entries, too. I do get a chance to read them all. I don't have any time to reply to them, but uh, thanks anyway. Um, they're all very much appreciated. Anyway, the random number generator has picked out Stephen Devlin. Stephen Devlin. So well done to you, Stephen. I'll be in touch. I'll get your details, and we will get a book and the postcards to you. You, uh, as soon as we can. So, looking ahead to this weekend and the game against Everton, and uh, the team news is that uh, we don't have any real worries after midweek, apart from Mikel Arteta, obviously, and the manager says he'll definitely miss the game, and he has suggested that if it's a long-term injury, he may have to be creative in terms of how he... Um, deals with the situation. We have, of course, got Matthew Flamini, who can come in and do the same kind of job, just with a bit more violence and slightly less subtlety than Arteta does it, but at least we have that option. I am a little bit worried, though, about Arteta, because the manager at his press conference yesterday said he was getting the scan results at 10 a.m., and so far, I'm sitting here recording this now, it's nearly 10 o'clock at night, and we haven't heard anything. So it's either no news is good news or no news is actually really, really bad news. And he could be out for uh, a prolonged period. I hope it's not the latter, obviously. But um, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. It would have been a nice return home for Arteta. Um, played many years at, at Everton. Um, and of course, we go there with last season's defeat in April, the start of April. It was 3-0. One of those just bad days. Uh, relatively fresh in our minds. And um, as we were talking earlier about the mood, uh, a good win tomorrow or a good result tomorrow would certainly help uh, lift that, wouldn't it? Because uh, we've got that important game in midweek, which we'll cover on the Arscast Extra uh, on Monday with James. But yeah, this is a a big, big game. Um, We need to start clicking. Hopefully, 
the return of the Germans will do that. We've got Per Mertesacker, Lucas Podolski and Mesut Ozil to call on, all going well. The manager said that this was the target date for them. I think he still has to assess them, but you have to think, given the way we've played in the, the first two games of the season, um, which hasn't been brilliant, that he'd be very open to introducing players who might make a bit of a difference, and certainly Mesut Ozil would be one of those players. Mesut Ozil and Alexis linking up, that would be quite nice. Alexis with the runs, also with the passes, gives us some pace and a bit of creativity, extra creativity in in uh, in midfield. So let's hope we can do the business against uh, Everton, who have been over the last 12 months a very good side, good to watch. Roberto Martinez has done a fantastic job, so we'll have to just uh, keep fingers crossed we can lift the level of our performance because I think we're going to have to do that if we want to take three points. The draw away from home, of course, not the worst result in the world either, especially at Everton. Um, so that's that's really it. And then after that, we get to concentrate on Europe in midweek. But as I said, we'll check on that uh, on the Arscast Extra at the start of next week. So that's really about it for this week's Arscast. Um, I've just had my dinner, which was a packet of crisps and a, a square of chocolate. Been one of those days, but I also have a nice hear that ice cube there, a nice bullet rye. So I'm going to drink that and chill out for a bit. So look, um, have yourselves a great weekend. Let's hope for the right result. I'll talk to you on next week's Arscast and of course on the Arscast Extra on Monday. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye. Hello there, Rui McBeno. I know I'm the greatest striker that ever lived. I know you've even got a brand new football club now called Wolfsburg, which is great because I am literally hungry like the wolf, except hungry for goals, not hungry for buffalo or zebras or whatever it is that wolves Anyway, I have been... Nominated by Andre Shavin to do the Ice Bucket Challenge. So here we go. We make Benor, the greatest Ice Bucket Challenge that ever lived. <laughs> oh, fuck, it's cold. Oh. Uh, lads. Lads, uh, where did you get yellow ice from? Oh. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.